This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. This is Houston Huddleston from New Starship, and I'm restoring the Enterprise D bridge, and you're listening to Trek FM. T. Earl Grey, hot. Hello, everyone. It is time for another serving of Earl Grey, Trek FM's one and only dedicated Next Generation podcast show. I am your host this week, sitting in the center chair, Daniel Prue, and joined with me, as always, are my two favorite hosts, we have the scant-wearing engineer, Darren Moser. Now, Darren, I, I have heard through the grapevine that you have really nice legs. And I know this is the 24th century, but tell me, is it really a, the most appropriate attire for engineering to be wearing a very short dress? Well, let me just say, like that uh, gentleman in, in this episode, uh, he actually wasn't running because of the saucer separation he was running because he realized he woke up that morning going dear lord i'm wearing a scan i'm gonna go put some pants on right now and boy he booked it to the nearest replicator replicated himself a good pair of trousers and has been a happy man ever since that's good because my concern was as you know on tng in the uh engineering section the floor on the second level is made of glass. So like if I were just to go home de dum dum working on the dilithium chamber and I were to look up and somebody were to be wearing scants, it might make me quite uncomfortable is all I want to Let's say. Let's just say I always make sure people go in front of me up the Jeffries tubes. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Uh, and also joining us this week, as always, we have Grappler Gilfus. Now, Philip, I know that you're really big into uh, politics, and I have to know, what does one need to do in order to uh, obtain the office of Grappler? Quiet. Quiet. You said you wouldn't be any trouble. Oh, oh hi there, Daniel. Um, well, uh, you know, from being a Grappler, it's... For one thing, you really have to do your hair in the morning to look like you're in charge. Um, you know, you just don't wake up like this. <laughs> um, also, uh, it's just really hard. Um, oh, oh, Daniel, did you did you want something to eat? I I have um, some fruits here. Um, anything here? I actually food? would like some pizza. That would be great. Oh, oh, I'm I'm sorry. I don't. Oh, oh, look, there's a. There's a large pepperoni. I I didn't see it there. Before. Wait a minute. I definitely would have noticed a large pepperoni pizza sitting right here on but the, the desk. But the appearance of it didn't make it any less delicious. All right. Well, as our listeners, you know, who, I don't even know. Do they even guess at this point what we're trying, the jokes that we're trying to make? We're, we're doing an encounter at our point this episode, listeners. Uh, you know, I, I had realized that we are now at our, this is going to be our 25th episode, guys. So we are almost as many weeks old as Star Trek The Next Generation is years old. And I was like, we have never done an episode on the beginning of, of TNG. So I thought, hey, this would be a great time to talk about it. Because it's pretty important, obviously, to the rest of the show. 
And uh, so, so I want to get some 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 of your just your first impressions. Like, uh, I don't know if you guys are gonna. I don't remember personally, and I know I'm the youngest, but I don't even know if you guys are gonna remember like the first time you guys watched Encounter at Farpoint. But but even now, like when you think of Encounter at Farpoint, is it negative, positive, neutral? What what do you think, Darren? I think it like most series it definitely shows its newness in a lot of the the verbiage uh personally every time a character says old bandy city it's like grating chalk on a chalkboard and i cringe a little bit because people don't talk like that people would say the old bandy city the first time but not every other sequential time ever oh you mean OBT? Say the city that's a great place <laughs> yeah, they 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 you know abbreviate it like the OC, the OBT, and uh, <laughs> nobody calls it that. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the it's the OBC. You know, just head on down. Uh, you know, for all your shopping needs, uh, <laughs> bolts of cloth uh, and <laughs> apples, <but> apples. <laughs> they have the Apple Store right over there. It's great. But anyway, I think besides that, though, it's a really it's a fun episode. And I try to always watch it through the lens of this was the first Trek to come back on the screen, you know, after Kirk's Trek went off the air. So there was a lot of hype and people were really excited. I mean, there was hype even without the Internet. I mean, people were going crazy for this show. And in that regard, I feel you know, while it's a little rusty in a couple of places, overall, it's a great start to the next generation. And I mean, uh, if you think about it, it's it's a good chunk of the series because it's a double length episode. So it obviously secured enough for at least a second season, to which I'm grateful because that led to a third, Pulaski. fourth, and and so on. <laughs> to a, it led to a Pulaski season, and then <laughs> redacted that. <laughs> And Philip, what do you, what do you what are your initial impressions? Of oh yeah, I, I don't I definitely don't have any hate or anything for Encounter at Q Point. Um, you know, it's as Darren has stated. I think probably the things that people might have issues with are probably were at the time considered homages to the TOS, like the extreme close-ups of Picard. All right, we're guilty provisionally like you know i can see his nose hair but that's sort of like the whole like tos kind of you know let's put uh vaseline over the camera lens um close-up moments um which looks silly now but they were like well you know that's how we the way you do trek right how other way to do it other with loud music and close-ups and and scants you know that's how you do it but but i i think that the the pilot definitely did its job of saying hey here's what's new we which I don't, I'm sure we're going to get into, but hey, here's a Klingon, here's an android, here's families. We're different. And our ship is freaking huge. So take that, Enterprise A. <laughs> it's interesting, though, because I think um, among Trek fans, at least in my experience, among you know, the people I've talked to and the people I've listened to, uh, Farpoint has, is received you know, is uh, to the lowest degree of all of the Star Trek pilots. I mean, you know, even depending on which pilot, quote unquote, you consider as for for TOS, like whether, you know, you're it's the cage or, or where no man has gone before. Like, I still think, you know, or emissary or, or caretaker or broken bow, which is my personal favorite. But I think that even among all of those episodes, 
Farpoint is is the least regarded. And I actually think that that's kind of rightfully so. I think it's probably the weakest episode of all of those episodes. Um, it's 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 kind of mismatched and and awkward and strange. And, and I feel like it, it, it misses the mark more than it hits the mark on all of its characters and plots and, and beats. But like, wh- like, where would you... I would just say in defense of Encounter at Farpoint, it had to plow a lot of ground that the other pilots didn't. I mean, take Emissary. I mean, you basically had the best of both worlds two-parter to help set up that pilot. You And then Caretaker, it's basically just the ship they're explaining. I mean, you don't need to establish the Maquis because that's been established in, you know, next gen. And, and then, I mean, Broken Bow, by, the, by that point, it's Star Trek and so much has already been established. So I think I agree with you in, in some areas it is a weaker overall pilot, but those other ones stood on the shoulders of what had already come out, whereas this had to reignite that fire for Star Trek. Well, like when you when you say like, I mean, I think it's a good pilot. Like, like what does a pilot have to do? Like, I think it does its job. Now, whether you're saying is it a good episode? Is it like an all of season one? Yeah, well, it's no justice, obviously. But I mean, um, <laughs> you know, but there's a judge in it and justice. It's, it has more justice in it than justice does. Yes, but this was the courtroom that killed all the lawyers. So you know. <laughs> um so but i mean like as a pilot i mean i think you know it it not like said well this is i know everything i need to know about the, all the characters but I, it gave you everything you needed to know you know picards you know very different from kirk and you have this right you know i'm not gonna go through the whole list but i think you know it basically introduced everyone i think it did what a pilot had to do um like you know should it have been an hour versus two hours you know i don't know but but hey we got q we got a storyline, you know, I don't know what more do you want? We we separated the ship. I mean, come on now. Okay, I'm I'm going to address this right now since Philip mentioned it. Um a lot of people like to pokingly make fun of uh Star Trek the Motion Picture as Star Trek the Motionless Picture for and I think that's completely legitimate and I want to say that the two scenes where we separate and then reintegrate the ship together are mind-numbingly long and like absurdly like it's like hey hey guys oh, do you goodness, like our theme like, when he want to hear it again when... <laughs> <laughs> did, did we mention like... the ship can separate because we want you to remember that like extremely it's a dramatic you know separation you set up the separation and redocking I think you know a joystick that would have sped up that whole thing. Can and 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 um, maybe again, like I'm actually a little hesitant to say this after the past two weeks of me showing my own Trek ignorance, and I'm trying to recover from that. But let me ask you guys this question point blank: How is it possible that the ship traveling at maximum warp? can separate and then the saucer section can go faster than the star drive section that has the warp nacelles on it. It bothers me so much. It, it makes me infuriated. Should this saucer section not immediately drop out of warp? Daniel, I just don't Daniel, understand access your theoretical. <laughs> Absolutely it, no margin for error, Philip. I do agree with you. I think it should drop out of warp, but its momentum should keep it traveling at least away i think it was more like 
we're not going to take the time to slow down, stop, detach, and then by that time, you know, it's going to be on us. So, but I do agree with you. Oh this no, 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 no. This is oh no, 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 no. They loaded all the kids in front of the song. No, 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 no. Hang on. I down. have to. I have to interrupt you here. I, I, I have to actually. I have to interrupt you at this moment, Darren, only because not only do they have time to turn around, they also have time to come to a complete stop and then just sit there and and then you start to see the torpedoes explode and then Picard's like, and now we wait. And so they, there's no, there's there for some reason, Q is supposed to be right on their tail. Why he's chasing them, I don't know. Um, Maddox. But there's obviously a very big gap between between those two events happening. No, that's true. There is. And obviously it's for dramatic effect of, yes. you know, well, let's shuffle people around and show all those families we care about so much yet. Well, what happened is Q, Q is pretty much like my iPhone right now. He, he down, he's downloading a quick update because, you know, he has to change costume. He's like, oh, wait, I'm not Columbus. Okay. Update, update, update. I'm now a, you know, 1950s captain. Oh, still not good. I have to update again. And so, you know, it takes a while <laughs> to get to... Uh, Version you know. 4. Exactly. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Although I was thinking about, you know, the the Columbus and the World War II get-up today. And the if you think about it, though, the difference in time between us today... And viewing and viewing a captain from Christopher Columbus's time is about the same as the distance of Picard in the 24th century viewing someone in a 1950s getup. So I don't know if that was intentional, but but it actually kind of gives us a big feel because I think often, you know, Star Trek characters know an awful lot about the mid 20th century, and it's like really that's like us knowing a lot about Christopher Columbus and and those ships, like an obscene amount of knowledge. Well, you know, I, I of course, is always the season one defender. I'm not going to pick on everything, but that that scene does have a line that just doesn't work ever when you watch it with Picard going, Thou goest? No, Picard's like, <laughs> we don't wear those ridiculous costumes anymore. I'm like, really, Mr. Spandex? Really? No, I think, <laughs> to be fair, I actually think that's that's kind of the point. Like, I think... I think what they're doing there is they're drawing attention because, you know, when people watch Star Trek, if you're not a Star Trek fan and you like turn on Star Trek, you see these people in these brightly colored uniforms and it seems ridiculous to you. And I think the point of that line, I actually thought about this when when he said it, is like anything viewed out of context is going to be ridiculous. So like any fashion statement, any like kind of uniform kind of looks ridiculous. Like to Picard, the, the army uniform that they wear in World War II and and kind of in, in a lot of ways unchanged today looks ridiculous. It looks as ridiculous to him as like uh, Darren was just mentioning, you know, those, those early Explorer uniforms. It, it looks just as ridiculous and, and future in you know, 500 year in the future uh, military uniforms are going to look so ridiculous to us too. Like I, that's uh, like, I don't see that as a weakness of the episode. I actually see that kind of as a strength. It'll be uh, so see camouflage. Them just all you'll see is their eyes. Just <laughs> all these eyes floating around. Everything else is just so completely you know, like, meshed with the background. It'll be like Jordy in Identity Crisis. That's what we'll all look like. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Which actually looks like okay, the, well, the, the... What do they call it? The putties in, in Power Rangers? Oh, he does. He very much looks oh, like the putties. Oh, he does. Like <laughs> <a putty>. Yeah. <laughs> 
All you gotta do is hit him right in the chest, and he'll just explode. It's exploring no, no, time. Don't do that. <laughs> okay, uh, so we've we've danced, we've talked a little bit about this, but um, I'm sure a lot of our, our our viewers are familiar. But if not, I'll I'll just inform them. Uh, viewers, I'm sorry, listeners are are familiar. But Encounter Farpoint started out as just that Encounter Farpoint. It was just that episode. It was everything that happened on Farpoint, and that was it. Um, then they told Gene Roddenberry, hey, we're going to give you two hours. So he made the Q part and kind of smashed it in there. And you can kind of tell, I think. I think it's pretty obvious that this was never intended to be a two-hour um, thing. It's, it, you know, it's very I mean, padded. it's no The Gambit, oh, let's just say. I mean, if <laughs> oh. we're talking about great two-hour I, I <laughs> episodes. I'm, I'm seeing what you're doing there, Darren, and I'm going to let it slide, but... Um, <laughs> My goal is to just try to get Philip in stitches at least once a podcast. Really, so. you didn't go with the Mark Twain episode? That really was. I'm so glad he didn't. I'm, that's the only reason he's still on the podcast at this point. Um, <laughs> um, it's very clear that these two things are very separated from each other. But um, and uh, and of course we have this episode to thank for Q. But how do you guys feel about it? Do you, does it mash well at all for you guys? Can you see the clear distinction between these? storylines or well, I think it's, it's what interesting do you think about the, the um I don't know for lack of a better word the director's cut like you know because I've I've seen I think a lot of times I've just seen the, the two parts and rarely I mean more recently have I seen like that what the, you would have actually seen because like for instance there's that scene near the end that they cut out of sick bay you know it's like oh no you know we're on the verge of solving this and McCard's like I'm gonna go down to sick bay for a second be right back be right back guys be right yeah. back and he goes down to sick bay and talks he to Beth. He sets his away icon <laughs> to the little yellow dot. And so everyone knows he can't be, you know, talked to right it, now. There are lit- there, the, the alien ship is literally <laughs> shooting at and killing colonists on the planet. And he's like, I haven't had my talk to talk with Beverly yet. You know, this might be my only shot. So I better uh, repair this relationship real fast. Play it cool, and Jean-Luc. Then, you know, fast Play forward cool. to Naked Now, and, you know, we're just... The one other thing, uh, real quick, uh, I don't want to steal y- your, your time talking, but the, the one other thing that, like, matches up with that perfectly is the first time, apparently, that Captain Jean-Luc Picard... Cap- uh, Captain Picard, who has been captain for almost, what, 20 years at this point? It must have been the first time he's ever heard Red Alert. Shut that damn that noise that off! Alert, I can't actually, stand. I'm going to be hearing that a lot. A lot. <laughs> And it's like, are you kidding? Like, why can you, like, why is Red Alert, like, stressing you out so much? This is a pretty important part of the show. And not only does he turn off the alarm, he goes to Yellow Alert. So basically, you know, the gunners are getting ready. Everyone's getting ready for a fight. And then they're just like, oh, oh, sorry. Sorry, Fred. The light, the light turned yellow. Okay, I'm going to go sit back down now. No, no, this isn't a Yellow Alert situation. Just turn off the alarm. And I I did like how you had a more chatty bridge, you know, Picard just shooting the breeze with everyone hey what what do you think about what we're doing hey that's cool isn't it weirdo huh hey well well you know wharf and and uh future transporter chief miles o'brien got there <laughs> first so they got you mean to con sit- <laughs> yes the con so they got to sit together so they obviously turned their chairs towards each other so they could pass notes and chat uh that's why they're, they're like man their angles we so- love being red shirts we can never foresee us ever okay. changing out of red shirts <laughs> I, and and Jordy's like, amen. <laughs> wait, wait, is this so an official much to report, talk Jordy? about in this episode? 
<laughs> oh, oh, hang, oh on. Sorry, hang on, sorry. hang on, hang on, hang on. We're cutting, we're cutting away. Hang on. There is literally every single sentence you guys say like brings up ten more things I want to bring up. Can, can we also talk about how um, in the original design of the Galaxy class has the con and ops officer essentially sleeping on the bridge? <laughs> they're at like a 180 degree angle, and they're just kind of like, yeah, whatever, you know. Like, what is this? What is the point of this? I don't understand. To be fair, they are like right up on that view screen, and it is <laughs> giant, so they probably can't true. even see anything. Like, but you know, I think is it because their chairs are tilted a bit? Does the Enterprise kind of drift to the left? Because they're not actually facing straight, so do they? Like, is it hard to steer? Like it's like driving a car, you know, as if you're, you know, hinged off a cup holder. Well, you know, most people don't know. You think about like you know all the stuff we see in Star Trek that we that we have in technology nowadays. This this pilot actually is how we get our gamer chairs today. You really can't tell there's actually speakers <laughs> in their headrests. It's so true. So they really get the full experience there with the view screen. I just feel bad if that had remained the chair style, you know, when the Enterprise eventually crashed, because they would have gone right through that view screen. I mean, they were in luge position. Yeah, I couldn't tell if that guy was frozen or if he was just sleeping. It was really, uh, it was hard to tell. Oh, you mean Balana Torres's older brother? Wait, wait. Apparently, uh, you just was... need to let that go. Are you Phillip? saying they're all related, just let Daniel? It go. No, oh no. Oh, I mean, sorry. Um, <clears throat> no, sorry. Sorry, sorry. Um, about Lieutenant Yar. So the- what I would say... Oh, good. <laughs> Go ahead, Dan. Go ahead, no, Dan. I was just going to say, you know, to, to your question about the, the two episodes split together, and yes, it does, you know, at times feel like it, but gosh, I, I almost... I can't, I can't give it any bad marks because I can't imagine Star Trek without Q this early on. Like, I mean, he... I think Q brings more of the this is Star Trek feel than the A plot. A plot being, you know, the mystery of Farpoint Station. You know, that that just feels like an episode. That feels like, you know, the the first the the non pilot, you know, of of TOS. It's just, oh hey, you just happened to catch us, you know, was it Mezzanine. scene um, i'm butchering the the french but it's like you know middle of the action like oh yeah we've been you know putzing around on the enterprise this was like okay this is the beginning and we get to catch all that and we get to meet you know uh you know meet q he's he really admires the tholians that's why he loves like weaving interstellar space <laughs> uh but he can't get the the the, you know the geodesic shapes down he can just do the wall it's just he tries to start to curve it and it just it it falls apart it doesn't work but but no i but i enjoy it as a two-hour episode give give q credit though his wall scales very well because he can he can like put it all the way around a starship or just in front of a turbo lift uh, door so it, it scales very well so that's true it's like the transformers he can scale it as big as a skyscraper <laughs> or as small as a handgun yes more than exactly a but, but again, like Q really is that is that I mean you and you've said this, but almost like the bridge to TOS because TOS always had those big you know godlike aliens almost like every fifth episode, and so like all this stuff we kind of see is just all this like again how else and I know we've said this before on this on this show and in other shows you know how else would you do Trek you know other than TOS I mean and this is really the the new you know exploration of like. Well, this is how you do it, but then maybe let's let's tinker with some things. See if see if they like it, huh? Huh? You like it? Is it alright? Huh? Don't hate us. <laughs> uh. Yeah, and you know it's it. 
you're right, and I and I do try to. The more we talk about it, the more I'm like, oh, I can kind of give it a pass because. And I actually did write it down um, before we started the podcast. Here is the fact that you're right; it is the first Star Trek on television in twenty years, right? Essentially, and and it's it's just, it literally establishes all of Star Trek that we know beyond the original I mean, series. Holodeck, come on now. And how many how many episodes would that be used in all of Trek afterwards? I was gonna say if you're if you're complaining about the the long you know longevity of the docking scene, I mean they walk out of the holodeck. I mean they could just call for an arch and just be out, but they they oh, have no, to no, like no, no. hike you don't all understand. the way back. The rear wall it's about two meters this way. Okay. So oh that's I'll just, true. Yeah, yeah. The only other the only time we ever ever see the the limits of the holodeck. Well, um, no, we see we see limits other places like. In some of the Moliarty ones, when the grid's failing or, or he's taking over it, you see Right, the... right. But I mean, like, like actually interacting with it. Like, you know what I'm true. saying? Like, like he throws an object. Th- instead of it, presumably the holodeck would work. Like, if you threw a rocket, it would just then project that it was going further and further away. Right. But this is the time he actually throws a rock at the wall and hits the wall. And it's like... It'd be hard to get bored on this ship. <laughs> there's a there's a zero gravity gymnasium I'm like, why don't we get to see this yeah. i've never seen this before like it's well, okay and there's are, are a few little you know technologies that i do wish had made it past the pilot i mean like they use the as when like Riker uses the computer console on the wall and it's got the little blip lights you know showing him where to go and you know it's a it's a fun Little thing, but you mean moron, <laughs> Will Riker? About... Duh. Yes. How do I let's find let's on the talk ship? about this scene. You've never we... actually been on one of these ships, have we? Don't you? have these on the hood. We could have. <laughs> oh boy, we could have a, an entire episode on this small scene because Riker, uh, Mister, I'm up and coming. You know, I am the commander Shelby of five years ago. Uh, you know, like he is the man right now. Oh, uh, by the way, where is this really important room I should know where I'm supposed to If you want to, to check out my butt when and, I walk uh, away, even better. Oh, my. Yeah. She checks him <laughs> she... out so badly. And, like, the camera lingers on her face as she's, like, looking at him. And it's like, all right, all right. See, she really could have told the computer where Holodeck 4 was, which would have gone the <laughs> other way. But she wouldn't have been able to get such a great view. So she said, he's in Holodeck uh, 3J, which yeah. we never hear the J ever I'll again. I'll be in Holodeck but, 4. You know. Plus Bar... Plus Barkley was in was Barkley was in four at the time, so it's it's fine. Head cannon. Um, okay, all right, guys. Look, we've been just dawdling at this point. We haven't. <laughs> let's get back on track here. Um, so one other thing I really wanted to talk about, or one of the things I wanted to talk about, is well, obviously we get introduced to all of the characters in this first episode, and I think they're a little bit more m- m- uh, missed than hit. Uh, and I think it's excusable because it's the first episode. And like you said, we're establishing a whole new Trek here. But uh, what do you guys think about the characters? Like, did any of them stand out to you as being particularly strange, especially compared to where they end up? Or do you think they did a fairly good job at, at grounding them and establishing where they are and where they they could go? Daniel, I don't know what you're talking about. None of these characters developed at all in the next generation, and the characters we, we see don't develop characters are the TNG. same characters we see in All Good Things. So I, I don't know what you're talking about, Daniel. Well, I'll start with Worf. Pain. I I, I feel that uh, okay. If you've been you know watching TNG or your know, TOS, and and it's like okay, the Klingons are like the main antagonist, right? 
as soon as we see a Klingon on the bridge of the Enterprise, we should have been like, OMG, what the heck is this? Like, you have to explain this right now. And it's just, he might as well be another crewman just walking around. I mean, I, I think I really wish that they had done more of that. I mean, more of explaining him instead of his one, like, I'm a Klingon, I have to go into battle. Like, You're okay, starfied like, officer. Yeah, it's like I'm gonna blast a hole in this view for this viewer. <laughs> so I'm not thinking, but but so I would have I would have liked to see a little more of Worf. He he kind of is definitely a secondary character, and and maybe that's more hindsight because he just becomes such a prevalent character in the series and even into continuing series. But you wouldn't think <laughs> Wait, that with did this we pilot. hear from Worf again? It's called the did Orb. Did he have any of his own stories yeah. that developed his own character throughout the next seven years? I don't remember. <laughs> no, he he gets plenty pl- plenty of stories. Actually, you know, it's interesting that you brought up Warp specifically, Darren, because I actually thought that as far as characterization goes, they nailed Warp right away. Like that, mm. in, in Encounter at Farpoint, like when he's like, "No, a, you know, a personal, uh, uh, you know, request, Captain." To clean up the garbage on the bridge, or whatever he says, like yeah, I'm like that, that's kind of bridge, yeah. yeah, like that's kind of wharf, like to a T almost. And and at the con, it, he's really smart, like he's really he quick, is, yeah. and he's giving the information really quick. And I mean, he knows more about this galaxy class starship than Riker, <laughs> obviously. So <laughs> was it Q and Wharf hate at first sight? We do know that it was it was it was Q and Riker love at first sight. We I'm as for that. you yet. What about you, Philip? Do you, what do you, how do you think they got the characters you know, starting thing, off? And this right is going to sound like a silly thing, but but it's what I think. And so there you go. Um, I really can't believe they changed. I'm, and I'm being serious here. I know people aren't going to think I am. I can't believe they changed Troy's uniform. Like, I would have. Re- it was a really good yeah, uniform. I mean, yeah, the scan. I mean, legs. Okay, whatever. She has good legs. And maybe you would, you know, some people would be like, well, let's put her in pants. But regardless, she was in a uniform. And to go from that to the black. Cat suit. I don't know what you would call it in the next episode, yeah, and like then for the, the gray, next purple one, and four yeah. years, I'm like, you know, I don't. I really like the way she looked. I mean, not just in. I like the way she looked, but I mean, I like the way she looked professionally um, in Encounter, and that's kind of you know doesn't really make sense <laughs> that they changed that. But um, I think you know for the most part. Because you do, and I've been making fun of it, obviously. You do see how the characters grow, and so it's hard to go through all of them. But I think, you know, one character that for me, when you're rewatching it, that does take a while to get used to, like a year, because you see how he not just changes as a character, but changes how the actor portrays him, is Data. Um, I remember once seeing an interview with Brent Spiner, who said, and I'm probably going to get this the wrong way, that when he went to audition, yeah. I'm probably getting it. either a he thought he was supposed to be more human and they wanted more robot or he thought he was a robot and they wanted him to be more human. And I can't remember which one. And so he's like, well, I'm not ready to do that, you know, because I came in thinking one, you're saying the other. But but he's definitely more human the first season. And then he kind of becomes a little more robot he's makeup test data. Yeah. Because yeah. they're not quite done. Yeah, he's very expression. <laughs> he has a lot of expression that first season. That like He totens it down to just like the ticks and every now and then. So, so I mean, I think to me that's, that's kind of like you see the most kind of, oh, you know, we're figuring this guy out. Um, but I, mean, I think everything else, you know, kind of introduces, you know. I mean, Jordy, you know, Jordy and Worf were, were small parts. They weren't who we saw later. You know, so there really wasn't that much to show. Jordy looks at a lot of stuff for sure. In the first episode, in, in Encounter at Farpoint, Jordy likes to look at things and and see them. 
So yeah, that that's part of his character, I guess. Is that an official report about Jordy Daniel? <laughs> uh, that uh, well, you know what? It was so funny because I was watching the episode and I'm like, and I see Riker say this to Jordy, and I'm like, wow, that is so unlike Riker. Riker's kind of like the jovial, I'll take things kind of a little bit He's lighter. Being kind of a jerk right now. <laughs> but then I was like, you know what? He did the same thing to Anson Rowe. You know what I mean? Like the first time he sees her, he's the kind of like a jerk. Like, I'm surprised he doesn't say to Jordy, I'm sorry, that Pfizer isn't regulation. <laughs> Take it off. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, uh, but, uh, no, look, you guys both had great points. And I actually have to agree with you, Philip. That this is the only episode that we see Deanna with official um, rank, yeah. pips, right? Until like season six <laughs> or something crazy me. like that, right? Like, I, you know, uh, well, and, yeah, you're right. It's it's tough. It's tough. It's it was really interesting because I watched this episode and then immediately watched the season seven episode, and I actually kind of suggest that people do that. I I did, and that was really cool. It was really it's a really unique perspective, and I actually suggest you guys to the try. Episodes that. don't matter, Philip. Like, watch like a season one and then a season seven episode. It doesn't even matter. The, the episodes don't matter. Justice would probably but be the you will, one to watch. I think. It you you. <laughs> <laughs> You'll just—it's a—it will blow your mind how different those characters are and where they've 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 gone. Well, to. I think one thing that—and again, because I I can't remember what season I was, I started watching TNG live fourth season. I'll top my head, it may have been third actually. But like Picard in Encounter, because you know knowing what Picard is becomes he's standoffish. Like, he, he does come like very not attractive. <laughs> like you know he's very like I would be—I don't know the word I'm looking for like brusque abrasive you know um now there are some nodded winks that you see and he does have some soft moments where he's like you know oh will you and your apples it's always apples with you isn't it um you know but uh <laughs> but you know he is where he's kind of but you see where he's like testing Riker, and you see kind of this is not definitely not kirk this is definitely not kirk you know this is and he's kind of like shouting the half the episode at q um and at his crew um, but, uh, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's sort of an interesting view of Picard. And I know some would say he was maybe like that for a couple more seasons. Um, but, but you know, it's, it's very interesting. Well, I like the scene with, you know, Picard and Riker where they're in the observation lounge. No, wait, was that the ready room? No, no, that was the observation lounge. And, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of giving him his real introduction like his real handshake and that's where, like you said philip where it's got the softer side and and you know welcome to the enterprise and although i I love the obvious shot okay when wesley's on the bridge and he's like and he's like try it out and the camera is like wesley's pov and it's so obvious it's like you are supposed to feel like you're on the bridge walking towards the captain's chair. I mean, and, and I mean, you even see Picard like gesturing with his hand, like have a seat, you know, like virtual simulator 90, 87, you know, and that's it. Man, if we ever have an interactive tour CD there, this is going to be, be good great. Footage. But, uh, but no, I think I hope no one ever tries to make this bridge from this. It would have been interesting if they had maybe put the actors through like a, like a boot camp of some sort. I mean, I know they're, they're still formulating the the show and and a lot of things but i think it would have helped to have like two weeks of trying to be in character and just give them a lot of the the scope and the techno babble and just i think that would have helped them especially in a sci-fi 
show that's very important to like immerse yourself because it's so foreign to just oh i'm gonna play a character who's a cop at a bar you know like that it's different when you're you you know piloting a start you're off the case (laughs) mccluskey okay um this th- we're gonna have to have an encounter at Farpoint Part Two because you mentioned like a dozen things that I want to touch on, and such I'm only gonna touch on one of them right now. Daniel. But that's, that's... Um, there are You're so being many dilatory. Can we talk about? Can, can we talk about? Um, whatever obnoxious Wesley comes up in the turbo lift with with his mother. Let's get the timeline correct here. Um, Wesley remembers Picard bringing his father's body to him when he was younger, and yet Picard doesn't know Wesley's name. When 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 Crusher is like, "This is my son, Wesley," you knew his father, and then and then Picard's like, "Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> right." So fast, now Daniel. I know. You don't was. know what they look like. <laughs> well, wait, but Wesley said he's the one who brought my father home. He doesn't say I remember him bringing my father home. Why do then? Maybe that's just in my. Maybe head. that's your your head cannon. So I mean, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's what he says. I, I'm, well, either I could, way, I he has be to mistaken, have been. He has to have been born at that point, right? Or or even Daniel, Daniel, I, mean, I know point- you're kind of an ass with children, so let me explain it to you. Um, <laughs> they grow up and they don't look the same as when they're younger, as when they get older. Um, I'll explain it to you later. Look, I don't, I don't care if you know if my best friend, you know, his his wife got pregnant. I would know the name of the child at any point at that child's life. It wouldn't be like a huge surprise to me who this person well, was. You mean- he also didn't seem to realize that Beverly was a on the ship until she showed up in the turbo lift, and then b that she was connected with the boy that just happened to be standing in the, the turbo lift. He, I mean, his first reaction is like the turbo lift opens and she's kind of standing to the side, and so all you see is Wesley. And yeah, he's like, "This child is is going to get on my bridge. He's going to you know mess up the carpet, and the Roombas are going to have to clean for like an hour." So data, you mean? Yeah, is that who you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, exactly. A yeah. race of slaves, Darren. Is that what you're saying? Just his lesser beings, you know that harsh. that don't have higher uh, higher capacity, you know, memory inputs. <laughs> anyway, but no, and then and then he realizes, oh, you know, yeah, she. I think she kind of set him up. Oh, that's that. funny. He kind of looks like me when I was little. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I should go talk to her later when when we have a when, when there's a better moment. At a right in the middle of a red alert. Yeah, in the middle of a battle. That's <laughs> and by the way, right in the middle of the battle. Busy. No one will be looking up from their stations. Right in the middle of the battle. So, do you want to transfer off the ship, Doc? Um, <laughs> I requested this. Oh, oh I just put boy. my foot in my mouth a second time in the same Shut off day. that damn noise. Are you sure, sir? There are civilians dying on the planet. Yes, I have important business in the medical bay. <laughs> like, <laughs> just, my blood pressure goes up whenever there's a red alert, so from now on, nothing above a yellow alert. To call me. Uh, <laughs> sir, uh, uh, Starfleet doesn't really work like that. Can we have like a orange alert? It's a little more important than a yellow alert, but not with And the also sign. in the director's cut, there's actually in the beginning log there where, you know, Captain Card's like, you know, we have some vacancies, including a first officer. And actually, most people don't know if you get the director's cut, it says, and also I'm informed a young guppy will be joining my ready room. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he shows great promise that he will grow one day into a spectacular lionfish. That's right. Livingston is in the first episode 
And and they get honestly, of all the characters on the show, they get his characterization perfectly. I mean, he, he doesn't. Is, you're talking about not changing over seven yeah. years. Oh uh, my Livingston has that down pat. Consistent Section 31 agent all the way across the board. You know who they don't get right? Clearly, um, like I said, like we mentioned before, Khan! Yeah. Um, when they throw uh, Chief O'Brien into oh. the Khan position. Unnamed crew Khan position. <laughs> so let's get this straight here. He has now been a tactical officer, an engineer, a transporter chief. Am I missing anything? Um, He's, he got to be on the battle bridge. He was on the battle bridge. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So is this the only time that we ever see the emergency turbo lift on the bridge used? Well, they ever probably, in the whole series? And, um, I, they do use Arsenal it Freedom? when Data's taken over the ship. Um, the In Brothers, I think. Do they? Do use they? It, I thought they went to the back one, but you, you could be right. No, they use all the turbo lifts. So because because Data's like sucking the oxygen out of the room. So everyone just stands up and goes to the nearest turbo lift. And then Data like hap. Yeah. And then he takes it. The- <laughs> you humans do this so easily. <laughs> <laughs> Breathe. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I, I think they use it once or twice after that, but not very now, often. Um, we have not talked about one character. Who? Exactly. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Um, hang on, let me. Uh, we 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 talked about Picard a little bit. Uh, Riker, Jordy, Data, Worf, yeah, Troy, O'Brien, um, Con yeah. O'Brien. Yep. Um, hang on, uh, hang on. Torres. We even mentioned Barkley. The frozen Torres. people. Hugh. Torres, the frozen that people. That little midget with the um, gong. Wesley. Uh, oh, there's like. Oh, Wesley. We brought up. Um, oh, Crusher. Uh, no, I think the Bandy City and all of its um, inhabitants standing in front of Worf. I'm sorry, we're in front of Worf. Um, he was still uh, in, in the Klingon section. I don't think Worf ever met Grappler Zorn. Before we, Is that we integrated about, the bridge. Um, oh my goodness, the Hood, oh, the USS Hood, uh, right. Captain yes, DeSoto. Yes, that's what, that's what it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no, but this was a <laughs> yeah. That's true. They had the great send off by the great De- DeForest Kelly. I, I we can't believe we almost forgot about that. Uh, that's what it is. That's it. That's it. There was another frozen person. How do you guys feel about that? There was another popsicle. <laughs> Are you sure there was two? I thought there was just I one. I saw two Captain America? popsicles. He's, C- Captain America is not in this film or this episode, Philip. I, is it a Yarsicle? I it. <laughs> what? That's right. Natasha Yar was, 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 as many people may not be aware, was the uh, fifth Beatle of uh, The Next Generation. Um and, uh, she can't yeah. stand for this. I'm just darn it. I'm just I'm security chief, and I don't. Yeah, yeah. no. A security <laughs> chief with a short temper that'll never work in next generation. She's almost as obnoxious as another character in the first episode whoa, whoa, whoa. of another Star Trek series that only yells when they're in this. She does not kick any equipment. Okay. <laughs> I thought you were talking about the the doctor that dies in Caretaker because he boy was he annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember anything about that guy. How'd you like to be that? Like, we want you to be the doctor on the next Star Trek. Actually, you're going to die in the pilot. I'm sorry. It's been <laughs> written into your contract. <laughs> and literally never come and back. literally never be seen again. But no, but let's put ourselves out of our misery. But no, Tasha Yar uh, is, is introduced. And uh, I mean, yes, it's butt. easy for us to judge her, though. Yeah, I, but it's easy to judge her because we know that she's not going to stick around, and she kind of left the family early on, so we kind of ostracize her character 
Thanks, know. Tasha. I mean, yeah. Commander Sailor. I mean, she does come back in an, in the most awesome way through time travel and Romulans, but uh, yeah, it's I don't know. It's not all good things. I saw her there too. <laughs> and is that kind of the coolest thing about Encounter at Farpoint that we get to see the prequel to Encounter at Farpoint and all good things? We get to see. It's not even a really. A, I mean, it, p- parts of it are a prequel, but it's more like a supplementary. Well, you get to see Tasha um, all good things, with right? Picard in the shuttle, introducing him to the D for the first time. You get to see right. Picard meeting Data for the first time. You get to see O'Brien and and Red wandering around looking for some sort of chief engineer who, or one of them, one of the twelve that's been assigned to the Enterprise D. So, doesn't he say, Jordy, like, why don't you take care of that? And he's like, I'm at the con, and he's like, Well, I'm pretty confident you can take care of that. <laughs> Just trust me. No, I, I like, and again, I know we're talking encounter, but this counts as encounter because it's canon. Um, in all good things, where <laughs> Mr. Data, uh, we're having problems with this, uh, whatever it is, warp coil. He they just goes over and like flicks it. Yep, that's not working. What are you like a mechanic, Data? What? And I know this is a first episode syndrome kind of thing, and that's okay. Um, but season one and season two, but specifically season one, definitely feels different than all of the rest of TNG and even all of the rest of the subsequent Star Treks. Like, season one and two of TNG feel way different to me than the rest of TNG, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager. Like, it's probably because they've kind of established themselves at that point and they've got a pattern it's because Picard, Picard's chair is different. He's got the little flip-up paddles, and those aren't in any other season. It just bugs me every every episode. I'm just like, dang, oh, this chair. It's like got the wood mahogany. You know, it's like really. Yeah. Do you? I mean, do you guys get that impression at all? That like, especially just this first episode where it's like, this is just a little. It's. I mean, it's good or bad or whatever <laughs> you think, but it's just a little, a little off. Just something is just like a, it's like I think it's got mere universe a little bit or something. Well, I talked about sort of the cinematography, but like the music also is very high. Ah, there's a soundtrack to this. That is, it's sort of the version of hey, we might be traveling around the sun in generations. Um, it's it's hey, we hired people to do music to this, um, which again, it's not. I mean, I don't know. People might think it's bad. I don't. You know, it, again, it's. TOS was music was it in TOS and so um but but I mean I, I, I other than the close-ups and some of the sort of like act your heart out for this part you know we we kind of like didn't I think there was a little probably a little bit of overacting in, in this pilot where they kind of tempered it down a little bit um as the episodes go and it was people like these <laughs> yes but you're right Philip it, it's like if you hear later TNG music it it's not, dun, dun, it's dun, not as noticeable. Dun, 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 dun. Well, except for except for that piece. But I mean, I mean, there are pieces, <laughs> and I guess if you play a, a piece of music that's more background from like season five or seven or or four, it's harder to place it. But if you hear a piece from season one, it's like, oh, that's season one because it just had a unique sound. Not you know, not good or bad, but just it. it you could tell, oh, this is season one. You know, just like Data's makeup, you could tell. Yeah, like when Q is exiting as the judge, you hear like the sad trombone. Oh, yeah. He's been trying to hit that solo this whole time. He's never made it. 
But uh, this, and I'm, I'm going to throw this out here because just it's random. But I mean, one thing that's, I mean, people may think it's not cool, but again, it's callback and all good things. Um, we get to see post World War Three Earth, uh, or is it, or is it World War? Like, I, you know, we kind of see like, because again, this is 1987. This is the first next generation. It's like we have this great future, but hey, you in 1987, things are going to get probably really crappy in the next 20 years. Just FYI, you know. Uh, but we'll, but we'll get beyond it. You'll get addicted to drugs. <sighs> well, that was one really interesting thing about it. And the other thing was I was thinking, and I'm not sure this is true, but I think it is, that these courts are essentially taking place around the same era that that First Contact, which we just did recently as well, kind of takes place as well, right? Like they said the mid-21st century, isn't that what they said? He said a specific which is, date. Didn't he say like... 79 well, no 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 or... they it changed oh it changed it it was like because because data was like oh you know according to the new he specifically said the new um united nations charter of like 21 or was it 20 no i think it was like 2039 or something probably like now and yeah i can't remember the date but it was like the the 2030s or something like that and um and i could be getting this way wrong so please forgive me if i'm i'm wrong um, and then Q was like, oh, by the way, by the 2050s or 2060s or 2070s or whatever it was, um, they had abolished the new, the new uh, United Which Nations in, uh, crap. New, new, this is what new, 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 New York. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so I was thinking that this was I was pretty sure that this was like mid 21st century. So I was thinking this is kind of kind of close. To first contact ish no government you know no this resistance. is both yeah this is exactly it would make sense like if you know in the middle of montana you could build a you know a rocket that makes sense but maybe if you go to los angeles or new york um you have to deal with these kind of crazy civil systems these crazy court systems if, oh, if there's no la wrong. anymore and, um sorry global warming or new york probably right who knows Why do you think starfleet's in san francisco not la <laughs> I you know, all right. They just have fires, <laughs> not not earthquakes apparently. <laughs> <laughs> all right guys. All right, let's 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 do one more topic real quick. Um regardless of what you think that's good or bad, it's not perfect. So let's make Encounter at Farpoint better. Darren, how do you fix Encounter at Farpoint? Fix it right now. Right now, go. I need a hundred percent more docking latch sequences. I think that really was just underplayed. Uh, I mean, those people. I mean, the nervous look on their faces when they were docking—they were all about to like, you know, mess their pants. Apparently, because they were really scared by this trivial docking that never ever has any issues in the remaining seven years that this ship flies around. So, but, but no, I would say, uh, in honesty, you know, gosh, things to change. More scants or less scants? (laughs) I definitely less, less scants, but you know, I think, I guess I would just say, I, I know it's a large cast and there's a lot to do, but maybe just use, data or not data but use Jordy and Worf a little more like we were saying obviously they were they were a little they were more on the minor character list uh but i mean doc, i also like dr crusher doesn't really do any doctoring no one's really sick 
at all in this. She doesn't act as a doctor, but Daniel's going to correct me right now. So. No, I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I know. I, I literally audibly gasped there for a second. Um, my, my, my point was that I had written down um, Picard calls Crusher the CMO. Yeah. As in, I'm assuming chief medical chief officer. Medical officer. Um, is this the only time in Trek that this happens? I, oh. I, I just recognize that. And I, I was think like, Pulaski says her, calls herself the CMO a couple of times because that's how she rolls. Oh, I oh, see. Okay. When I called you CMO, you called me Captain. And when I called you Beverly, you called me... Oh, wait. Sorry, this is the next episode. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but So that's that's what I would just say is just add a little more to the minor... Ca- and I know it's hard because it's you're trying to to cram so much in... Uh, although if you really want to take, you know, shortcut and just make the episode a thousand times better, just give Riker the beard right off the bat and boom episodes. all he's just that much more awesome. Then everyone's checking out him as he's walking down the corridor. Agreed. Agreed. I would for sure. Especially since he is so slim. And never episode. checked him out without a he's beard. He's very, yeah. He's very trim. That's a lie, <laughs> as we've proven. It is a lie. What about you, Philip? What would you change? I mean, it, it's hard because I think the the, I mean, at least for me, because I like it. I, I guess for people who don't, I'm trying to think of what they would say. Um, I'm because really just the look, and and by look, I mean just like the lighting. I mean, I'm no, I'm repeating myself, but the 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 way the camera, like if it looked like third season, just lighting wise. Like maybe that would probably improve it by like ten twenty percent because I think it's it's sort of the harshness of like well we didn't that's not the way it looks like in the rest of the six years we did this but um I mean I I don't have a problem with the story I mean I I get that there's long sequences but I don't dislike long sequences I like to live in the world as long as possible so I mean I'll, I'll it is you know the the use of the music during the saucer separation obviously is is a little much um but still you know just be silent I don't know you know um. But I mean, I I really can't think of um, uh, other than just maybe if they didn't overact as much, you know, just to settle it down a little bit, um, you know, not as much yelling and. and but again, that's TOS was, and, and this isn't a criticism at all of TOS, but a lot of that was overacting because again, how else do you do track? Um, so I mean, I really just don't, you know, maybe if they had added um, a sexy time planet person, that probably that probably would have made it better. You know, add a little bit of justice. That's always what I think makes season one better. But beyond that, I really can't think of can't think of anything except you know maybe get Data's makeup right. That's about it. Although, if you think about it, this is kind of unique in the fact that we don't really see any aliens in this. I mean, as far as like a little bit of modeling clay on the forehead or and or nose, like the bandy the just space have bad hair, octopus. Aren't that alien for you? Uh, they're a little too alien. Jellyfish, I but, mean. But, but no, but it's it's like you don't really encounter. But he looks totally human. Oh, wait, no. We have an encounter. No, it's no, at Farpoint. No, no, no. There's I'm a Klingon sorry. in the I'm back. Sorry. Are you looking around, Darren? Stop no, climbing. I'm okay, sorry. I'm sorry. Klingon, obviously. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But does this not bother anyone else? To the like the original series had an excuse. 
But any time past the 1980s, if you're going to say an alien, I don't care if you stick a gumdrop to their forehead and say that's their defining biological feature. You do not tell me that this exactly looking human being is not a human being. So when they say all of these bandy people and they and they what they do is they drape, uh, you know, cloth, you know, windows dressing over their head that is that's not an alien that does not make an alien it drives me insane and this is the first time that it happens in tng obviously because you know it's the first episode (laughs) but and it doesn't have no excuse that beta z looks (laughs) totally human i can't figure out what makes her a beta z well at least they at least there's something they you know suitor in voyager creepy because he has those he's creepy well troy does have an accent so you know she's beta z that's true. That's true. Which she gets from her m- father. M- father, which mother? is human, so never mind. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but but no. But All there's right, a distinct lack of aliens. I mean, in, in a couple episodes, yes. we'll get like you know the Antikins and the you know I mean those aliens like that's where they were hiding them all. Like these people don't look anything like humans. And those people on the Justice Planet looked really alien too. I mean, well, no human would wear well, that clothing willingly. That's how you know. <laughs> and as far as far as I'm concerned, like the one thing that I would say is is I agree, I kind of agree with you guys. Now, the more we're thinking about it, and the more we're talking about it, like it's not terrible. The thing is that it's not structured properly. I don't think the problem was it was and entirely that there are a lot of far too simple, too simple a puzzle <laughs> for humanity to and they're understand. Just like, there's not enough to fill it is what I'm saying. Like, it's very like if you watch it and you just like there are too many awkward looks and 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 camera gazes and reaction shots. And you could fill this with other stuff like there could be more. You could probably cut a third happen. out of it pacing wise yeah. and it would be exactly be much. Trimmer probably, yeah, exactly. It could be like an hour better. and a half, but no one's going to do the heat. Either has to be an hour or two yes, hours. And so exactly. it's hard to. So it's not necessarily the story that's the problem. It's it's obviously just the, the the pacing and the structure that's the issue. And I think that we could definitely clean that up and fix it uh, and make it a little bit better. Um, but uh, I still I do I actually still think it's probably the weakest of the opening series. But we'll you know what we're going to end up talking about this again without a shadow of a doubt. And believe it or not. Um, Encounter at Farpoint is not the only thing that we've been talking about here on Trek FM this week. So here's a look at some other things we've been talking about all around the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Marathons for new viewers. If, if someone were to say to my 13-year-old self, here is every single episode of Star Trek ever made, I just don't know what I would do. I honestly think I probably wouldn't appreciate the shows as much as I do because they'd be so disposable. Earl Grey. Cliff Bowl and Hollow Pursuits. Did he override anything, or did he actually just walk no. right in? No, no, he just hit the button. He just went boopity boop boop. The ready room. Yeah, with Mark Cushman. But he's standing outside this building talking to Val, <laughs> and there was this one point in the script where the writer wrote, "Val reacts to what Kirk said," and Bob Justman in his memo said, "I'm sitting here trying to imagine how a building is going to react to what our Captain Kirk says." The orb. Runabouts. It definitely feels more like the old West, mm-hmm. you know, and you're basically 
in a covered wagon instead of like a train. But so, a covered wagon that can go warp five. To the journey. Cue on Voyager. You know, you got the the chocolates and the roses, and you know, the I'm puppies not talking and about like the puppies. <laughs> Yes. Someone had to do it. I'm not talking about the puppy. <laughs> Warp 5. Malcolm Reed. It almost feels like the writers thought it was fun to just keep throwing facts in and dialogue about him. You know, usually in the show Bible, you want to see people do things, and they just oh, we'll have some, we'll have this person say this. We'll have a whole episode about how he loves pineapple, but he's allergic to it. <laughs> Commentary, Trek stars. Robert Hewitt Wolf Recap. So it's it was like Three Amigos or Galaxy Quest, but with Anne Rice. I think it, it might have been. I I could be wrong about that. I don't know. That sounds you know equally amazing and horrible. Melodic tricks. Big Fontaine and the S Nights Jazz. In nineteen eighty three, Darren was off the role of Jim Corrigan on ABC series TJ Hooker. The part of Hooker, as many of you will know, was played by none other than William Shatner or Captain James Tiberius Kirk. Literary Treks. The Insolence of Office. But Starfleet's a military organization. And when you sign up for Starfleet, you're, you're joining that group. And I think that you give up some of your rights in that situation. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor, who helps us bring Earl Grey to you each week. And our sponsor for the show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read, but never thought you'd have time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from, and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers, and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World, not to be confused with Spock's Brain, Audible has something for everyone. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm and we thank Audible for supporting Earl Grey and all of Trek FM. And you can also directly help us keep Earl Grey coming to you each week, and that is by adopting some aliens. Well, illustrations anyway. If you go to trackfm slash donate, you'll find eight original alien illustrations by Tabo Ushi, who does most of the artwork that you will see on our website. They're available as both badges and art prints, and there are different contribution levels for you to choose from. Just let us know which one you would like in which format. Again, you'll find them at trek.fm slash donate, and your support helps us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring the show and the network to you each week. All right, guys. So if anybody wants to talk to you about scants, Darren, how would they get a hold of you? Don't, I, don't, I don't want to talk about scants anymore. I'm tired of being the scant guy. I'm Hashtag always scant Darren. <laughs> uh. But no, if they want to talk to me about scans or anything else uh, in regards to, to First Contact or Star Trek, they can reach me on Twitter. Well, First Contact, that was like two weeks ago, oh, but so maybe you should. Yeah. Q-week. Q-week. Well, if anyone wants to talk to me about scans, uh, 
I, I got nothing that's funny about scans. <laughs> I hate scans. <laughs> uh, if anyone wants to talk to me, they can find me on Twitter under Dr. Sci-Fi. That's D-R-S-E-I-F-I. Or they can listen to me talk about other science fiction on my other podcasts, which is the Dr. Sci-Fi Show, available on iTunes. Which has incredible theme music, just so everyone knows. So go. You need a good that. way to start your show. Or, or your morning, forget coffee. Just listen to my theme show music. If you're not ready to, to, it's a shot of adrenaline to the heart. Let's just say that. It really is. I listen to it over and over again. I love every second of it. And Philip, how would people get a well, hold of you? Well, if they want to learn how to treat a ship like a lady, all they have to do is go to Twitter Boy and find me at NC Public Servant. That's NC like North Carolina. So, just out of curiosity, are you now Leonard McCoy or Frank Underwood? Well, back in Gaffney, the way we'd teach a starship <laughs> is to hit it to full warp and never look back. <laughs> All right. That's a thing, apparently. And if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at 1UpDan. That is the number one, not the word. All right, guys. Well, um... Frankly, uh, I've got to go down to engineering because, well, as we all know, there's not a chief engineer. And I don't know if you've got to notice in this episode, there's a sub-level below the main level in engineering that is used in this episode. And I've got to go check on why nobody has been down there for seven years. So um, it's been it's been good talking about Encounter at Farpoint. And I guess I'll see you guys all next week. Engage. Make it so. Live long and prosper. Fire.